not your weekly sports pod. Welcome back. Now your weekly sports pod. I'm joined by, as always, the true, the realist, nebulist, real deal. What's good, bro? We're back in this thing, man. Well, welcome back to another iteration of the Not Not Your Weeklies, we're where for. we're going to do not a movie rewatchable, but we're going to mix it up here. We're going to do a little something for the fans that have stuck through with us and the products of the 90s and the 80s, the elderly among, among us. We're doing a movie draft on what me and Nabil consider the greatest year in movies. One of the greatest years, now that we've really reviewed some of the other Mount Rushmore years over the last couple hours here. But 1999, bro, we did the Matrix rewatchable Mm -hmm. and we proclaimed 1999 as that watershed moment where nothing would be as good, especially 2022, bro. It's been bad. It's a bad year for movies. Yeah, we we were talking about how there's probably like one or two movies that we really liked. And other than that, everything else has been absolute shit. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, like a lot of these movies, as I look at our big board here, a lot of these weren't critical successes. But they have such a aged well quality to them, and I would go back and rewatch any movie on this list, and I'll tell you which one I'm going to rewatch tonight. Um, but yeah, man, 1999. Just give me a little, uh, give me a little elevator speech on this year, and uh, why we're doing this over any other year. Just yeah. what, what are your thoughts on 1999? Where Nabil, the real deal, little boy in his developing years, was, and why this matters to you, dude? I think it's for anybody of our age right like in our late 20s um you know that generation of just older millennials i think we grew up with this nostalgia effect of movies in the 90s 99 was kind of that crescendo effect of being right before y2k and that whole you know 21st century you know new age of innovation and technology we're coming into 99 was kind of the precipice to that and creating this new era of what we really were going to be as from a society standpoint And I think our art evoked that factor of who we really were in essence. And 99 was kind of that factor of action, you know, suspense, uh, you know, just fucking cinematic art just in general, I think just precluded out of everything in 99. So I think you're right. Like, let's compare things, right? If you watch a movie in 2022 and you look at the protagonist or the message of the story and you use that as a reflection of the society you're in, we're a hurt, broken society. 100%. That's what we are. Yeah. You look at 1999 and some of the movies that we're going to go through, we were some cool motherfuckers in 1999. Yeah, we had some bravado, bro. We had had a little uh, extra jazz, right? Mm -hmm. Some jazz hands going at all times. Yeah, we all remember that from HBU because <laughs> dancing is prohibited at Houston Baptist University. Houston Christian. Houston Christian now. Yeah, they're they're really opening up their ranks. Absolutely. They're expanding their demographics. Um, so, yeah, 1999 for me, man. You know, I'm fresh in America. I've been here for a couple of years now. My parents are Iranian, so still against the idea of letting me watch rated R movies. PG-13 movies are even iffy if there's some smoochy smooch going on. Right, you're not allowed to see that until you, as the man, are doing that to an <laughs> underage woman in the Middle East. That's how the rules work, right? So, I start like getting into the rated R territory with my parents, and a lot of these movies come on my radar. And then my life was never the same. I was the obnoxious movie snob from that moment on to my friend groups. So, for that reason, I'm gonna lift the banner and give power back to the people. In giving you the first overall pick, we're just going to go one by one here. No snake style. 
and draft six movies each that mattered to us in rankings, considering how great they were, the critical success to them, but most importantly, how we felt about them, right? Nostalgia plays a big factor. Yeah. So real deal sex appeal, fresher than the color teal, number one pick, and then keel. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think this one's easy. We we talked, we created a whole fucking episode on this. Um, this was the movie that defined a, a generation of science fiction, critically acclaimed on all fronts, one of the best performances, probably the best written script of the 90s, uh, The Matrix. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty obvious who I, who I would have chosen with this first pick, just based on how much it meant to both of us. Um, the Wachowskis, man, what can we say? Who would have thought that the Wachowskis will be the ones to give us some of the greatest written piece of uh you know, cinematography and screenplay, I think we've seen up till, you know, Pulp Fiction or whatever Tarantino gave us, just something completely original and to break rounds on an actions front as well. I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked in spades over how great this movie is and, you know, fawned over it. Um, but yeah, easily. Yeah. The Matrix for me, man. Number one. It's an easy pick. You know, I, I threw you the pitch that Jose Altuve hit. I threw you a, tra- you threw me a Chapman. In, in, yeah, the Ronaldo's Chapman game seven. Bottom of the ninth. I threw it at you and you hit it out of the ballpark, Thank bro. You, good, sir. Well done. There's no other way to pick number one here. The Matrix, just how precocious it is in like the themes it tries to hit right before they start to really populate in our society at a mass level. I think the Wachowskis were way ahead of their time. Oh, yeah. The vision still like holds up well visually to me, at least. Like the spectacle and the way they were able to shoot this is tier one. All done in fucking Australia, by the way, to try to save money because the studio wouldn't give them enough money to do what they wanted to do with it. And then Matrix Reloaded turns into the highest grossing rated R movie ever at the time. It's like half a million back in the day or something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, the Matrix is unreal. And like, you know, there's the central prophetic kind of biblical story of Neo and how he's progressing, right? Um, and it's not obnoxious. It's not in your face. I didn't give a damn about it. Yeah, and, and, the one. Yeah, Neo, get it. Uh, so well done. Well done. Number one pick. Easy money. All right, the Matrix is off the board officially. Number two comes back around to me, man. Yes, sir, bro. There's one of two ways you can go. I think there's two correct picks you can make here. Argue about. You can argue which one equally on both sides. What would your number two pick be here? Who's number two on your big board before I tell you? Uh, this is when nostalgia would kick in like wholeheartedly. The Green Mile. The Green Mile? Oh, Green Mile. Green Mile is my number two movie. Yeah. Bro, just the Tom Hanks performance mm-hmm. backed by Spielberg. That that run of this... Um, What was the D-Day movie? Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. And then co-producing and directing... Band of Brothers, the HBO miniseries about World War II. This is like peak war run in the history of movie making, I think. And you bring that together in a smaller, more character-packed story that is the Green Mile, this cross-section of racism, humanity, psychology, and friendship. This is probably one of spielberg's if i had to say at the end of the day this is one of his three best movies ever yeah this is on the spielberg you know uh, mount rushmore for sure like i think this easily makes it the perform well you alluded to the performances right i couldn't couldn't agree more with you in every sense of the way um yeah like just the performances alone michael clark duncan i remember like even as a kid like that was probably one of the most moving performances i think i had i think that that 
performance from Michael Clark Duncan uh, hit me as like a seven year old as as it did like 10 years later when Will Smith's performance hit me with like Pursuit of Happiness. I think it was like to that level of like remembering that performance. So and then again, this is I think one of Tom Hanks's most underrated movies as well. Uh, dude just uh, throws it out of the park with what he really needs to play. Um, and considering that CGI sucked back then, you really had to like, hey, let's imagine what the fuck is going on. Um, well done. I mean, how many Oscars this thing won? How many like how many times it ran on TNT all the time? Like, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it, it got the Oscar or at least nominated for uh, best actor and supporting role with Michael Clark Duncan. I don't think he won. He might have. I don't think he did though. But um, yeah, this is, and just consider for a second, like with everything we just said, Spielberg, Tom Hanks, the San Antonio Spurs of filmmaking, oh, right? Yeah. Like, oh, but Tom Hanks is like the same thing every time. Yeah, that's what Duncan was. And he just dominated for a decade. Um, With all that, The Matrix is still number one. That's how legendary of a movie it is. And again, bro, just to go back to The Matrix, when you have on hand the fight choreography of the guy that they had who came from the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, in a lot of other original Jackie Chan action movies, you're bound for greatness. And that's what The Matrix was. And that's what it took. Any other year, The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense in 2022, or not Sixth Sense, um, the Green Mile in 2022, if it comes out this year, it's the best movie by a mile. Oh, done. there's no conversation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't think there's any conversation with bar none. So yeah, Green Mile number two, man. I'm throwing it back to you for number three. What you got, bro? So there's so many choices we can go with this one. I don't know how much how much nostalgia comes into play here with this. The Mummy for me. Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Bro, Brendan Fraser crawled so Nicolas Cage could fucking run in National Treasure. That's honestly what I think of The, uh, of the Mummy and its relevancy. It's that fun, stupid, you know, you're stuck and we're going to fucking milk it to be a franchise and hopefully kill it off before we go Indiana Jones with it, with uh, Harrison Ford trying to kill himself at 82. Perfectly done. You had Rick O'Connell for like... <laughs> Two good movies, and this was the start of it. And fucking Universal milked the fuck out of it with its rides at Universal Park, and the you know the, all the fucking you know the, the the souvenirs that they had backing it, like the merch behind it as well. They licensed the fuck out of it. They made their money, and people loved it. So yeah, from a nostalgic perspective, from how much it like you remember it as a child. Yeah, we I think we talked about this as well. The Mummy for me has to be just from a personal standpoint. Um, the third one from a nostalgic perspective. Four hundred sixteen million worldwide against an eighty million dollar budget it yeah. did it did well for itself you could say that's it right and this is like this is scooby-doo mixed with <laughs> indiana jones then you have this movie yes. here yeah. <laughs> bro. like you did it you did it oh, and you throw brandon frazier at the front of that with like the leather vest and a handgun in one hand and a torch in the other and then you have exactly what you need to have the action adventure movie of the decade and the mummy Oh, that's God. what Chris Pratt wishes he had. That's it. You Unfortunately, wish that's you just got too swole and you fucked around with dinosaurs, dude. You're done. Fuck yeah. Brandon Fraser gets uh, Rachel Vice. You get um, yeah, you get Bryce Dallas Howard. How about that? GG. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Right back at you, bro. Back to me. My third pick. So, The Matrix, Green Mile, and The Mummy are off the board. This is my second pick, not my third. There's a couple movies I can go with here. There's a nostalgia factor in me and there's a greatness factor in me. I'm going to take both, bro. I miss watching 
good ass Bruce Willis movies on a year to year basis. And now with his neuro condition the way it is, he's aphasic, he's not talking anymore. I gotta go with the sixth sense. Yeah. Right? M night yeah. Shaman Bro, there was a time when we were younger. People forget the greatness. You know, they they, right. they forget about you when you're down. But there was a time where any M. Night Shyamalan movie came out, even after like the stretch of a couple of really bad ones that he had, like the one in the elevator and the devil was one of the people in the elevator and it's stuck one by one, they die. There was still a period of time where when an M. Night Shyamalan movie was coming out, everyone was like, yo, it's time. He's got another one. Let's see what he's cooking. And he's fallen off drastically since. But there's no denying the greatness that was these original three, four movies. Like, you go back and watch The Sixth Sense, it's still an incredible movie. And the answers are there in front of you the entire time. We just choose to ignore them and focus on this rock star of a kid, Haley Joel Osment, whose career up to this point has peaked as a Silicon Valley recurring guest on the HBO miniseries. So, Sixth Sense for me, man. The M. Night Shyamalan breaking onto the scene. Bruce Willis giving a career performance at this stage in his career, the 90s to 2000s stage of his career. And then Haley Joel Osment having like one of the best child performances that I can ever remember in movie history. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so much to say about the Sixth Sense, bro. I think to your point, which you alluded to earlier, the Shaman, uh, the Shyamalan a sans whatever the fuck you want to call it like this was like four or five straight movies that this dude had that fucking you know game changers right like cult movies just movies in general that people remember decades later just how good the writing was so there's a point like to your point um i think of like five six movies span where Shyamalan couldn't miss um so and this was kind of like you know the beginning of that having to your point bruce willis dude that's still you know even after that was throwing fucking haymakers. Like it's, it's crazy to see how, how versatile this dude really was. Um, and yeah, dude, this is really well-written, really successful movie. Definitely a movie that I think can be rewatched in any era of movies. So couldn't agree more with you, fam. Yeah. Nominated best director, Haley Joel Osment, best actor in a supporting role, best actress in a supporting role, best picture and best writing and screenplay. Like M night we thought was the truth. Yeah. Right? He turned he turned unfortunately into I don't know, Rudy Gay. Oh gosh. Yeah. Is that a relevant one? He Rudy Gayed it. Gayed it up. So yeah, I'm throwing this back at you, bro. Give me your number what are you at now? Number three? Correct. My third pick. This is where it gets interesting. I think the big the big critical and box office successes are off the board. So this is where it starts to get a little interesting. Oh man, you can go so many places here. You really can. All right, do I want the... All right. I'll take the naivety. I will take Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2. I'll take Toy Story 2 as my number two. Um, or my number three, sorry. Uh, bro, when we talk about sequels that need to be better than the original, the original still leaving an impact on an entire generation of kids growing up, they one-upped the original Toy Story just as much as you could hype it with these new characters done right. This is peak Pixar. Right, this is when Pixar cannot miss, and Pixar is like, you know, the defining the psyche of young kids growing up and like, you know, being there with you for the rest of your life. This was peak, peak, peak Pixar, um, and this was a time where Pixar couldn't miss. And Toy Story two did that with, you know, Woody, 
you end up having you know all the whole the game back as well like it's the farmers like it was it was such a perfectly done movie bro and I, there's not much more I can say about the fucking Toy Story 2, bro. It's phenomenal. No, well said. I have two questions for you. My first question is, is there any other Toy Story movie that would have landed higher than number three on this year had it released this year? Toy Story 2, I remember more than any other Toy Story movie, whether it's because of the time in my life I watched it or how many times I've yeah. seen it. Toy Story 2 is up there for me. Yeah, I'd say the first one probably for me as well. Um, I definitely remember, but like the second one, I mean, so it's greatness, right? I thought the first one was phenomenal. The second one was, I thought even better. And the other ones, I just don't remember as much, but yeah, the second that, one I remember. that sequence in the airport where they're trying to escape and get away from the fucking, what was his name? God damn, I forget. The antagonist, one of the toys. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I forget the name though. The prospector. The prospector. <laughs> that's one of the best sequences in toy story history right oh, there. Oh bro. That's dub. So well said number three that's a beautiful pick so toy story is off the board number <laughs> number three for me bro this is just this is everything i could ask for in movie form you've got an epic director who loves just this erratic directing style in oliver stone you got randy fucking quaid <laughs> jamie fox terrell owens Acting as the receiver on this team, Cameron Diaz is the shitty, pissy owner breathing down the neck, and all these dynamics coming together in any given Sunday with Al Pacino as the head coach of a football team trying to keep things together with all these personalities I just laid out. This is one of the most underwatched sports movies among sports fans it's like especially modern sports fans people still have seen the water boy people have still seen varsity blues people have still seen the bevy of you know more modern movies that have come out in our lifetime friday night lights whatever of course um remember the titans Absolutely. sorry no disrespect intended wow. denzel don't come after me wow but any given Sunday with all these characters, all these actors and the genuine foot, like actual football that we see out there. What's his name? Who's that fucking defensive end from the 80s and 90s who acts in this game? Is it? Uh, God, do you know who I'm talking about? Something Smith, right? No. Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor is, is an her. actor on this in this movie. He's on the team. He's the D end on this team. Goes out and gets paralyzed or like a concussed in his last ever game that wins them the game. But. Yeah, dude, this is this is it for me. Any given Sunday is probably one of my top three sports movies ever. Wow, high praise, bro. I've I, I've enjoyed, bro. It was a great movie, and you know I think nostalgia has a lot to do with it because I remember watching it as well. And I think it's when when a movie hits all the right chords, right? Like it's not there's nothing corny about it. It's really genuine, and. Yeah, I felt this movie was really genuine, bro. I think that's all you could ask for a sports movie at, like, at an early age in your life when you first watch it. Yeah, I mean, Jim Brown's in the in the movie, for Christ's sake. That's it. Right? And LL Cool J could have been a football player. What What else could you need in life? Yeah. So, number four. Now that I've taken the sports movie off the board. I don't oh. think there's any other sports movie. Yeah, no yeah, other sports is. movies here. There is. Yeah? There has to be, right? There's one more. If you say so. Oh, Varsity I mean, Blues? Dude, come on now. Oh, Varsity. Okay. Well, give me your number four pick, yeah, and then we'll see. It's not that high, though. Come. Um, I would still say... Let's see. All right. This is nostalgia all over again. Austin Powers, bro. 
Oh yeah, give me give me the OG Austin Powers. Like, come on now, bro. Like, you can't tell me there's a more synonymous theme song than the Austin Powers one. Whenever you hear it in the background, you know who the fuck that is. More than the Bond song, more than any other one. No, it's fucking Austin Powers, bro. This man, this is peak Mike Myers, bro. This is when Mike Myers was Steve Carelling it, right? There's always that one white comedian that's gonna be making it big in uh, in the industry, and this was Mike Myers' time. And dude was banking off this character who was fucking hilarious. Uh, shouldn't be hilarious by any accords, but he's just done so well. And this was the start of an era, bro. And Austin Powers kicked it off for us, Brad. I, I don't like. I still don't understand what makes this work. Like, yeah. I rewatched all the Austin Powers movies. I loved every bit of them. <laughs> Looking back on it, I'm like, he's not like a great actor. He's not that charismatic, but it just fucking. I don't know. It just works. <laughs> yeah, it, it inhales the right way. It, it's digested the right way. That bastard's great. <laughs> the one-liners throughout these movies are some all times as well. Doctor Evil's million, hundred million, ten hundred, whatever, whatever number he puts out there for the world. All his agents, Austin Powers himself. He's, I mean. We could have an whole episode about Austin Powers. <laughs> that might be a comedy rewatchable we have to do. Oh, I'm always that for Austin Powers rewatchables, bro. Right back at you, man. Damn, you took that off the board, huh? That was a fun one, man. Number four pick for me. It's not critically received too, too well. Okay. But Deuce Bigelow. European Gigolo. European Gigolo, baby. <laughs> a movie that I don't think in any way could work today but for its time just a man being a prostitute with all these like random fucking female characters who all had their own issues with a plot behind it and of course rob schneider like rob schneider i think we got to give him some flowers bro wow. rob schneider's been in a lot of these movies where there's something like genetically or just structurally wrong with him right yeah. like whether it's hot chicks where rachel mcadams turns into a man and it ends up being in rob schneider's body they switch bodies or the hot chick was the name of the movie or the animal where he turns into an animal at night or this where he gets come sneezed on him at a dinner table on his face so this has got to be on the board for me. If I'm poking, if I'm taking a comedy this year, this is the one for me. I remember seeing this, bro, and I thought this was the pre-American Pie to what we really needed as a comedy that like really related as like uh, a cult hero to the masses. Like Rob Schneider's been forever goaded for this role, bro. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. This is a fucking great, great pick. Rob Schneider, give him some more love. Go watch some of his movies. I highly recommend it. Back to you, brother. This is your number five. All right, man. This can't go. You know, stay off the board longer. Uh, Fight Club. It has to be Fight Club, bro. Like it was at that time, so well done. I mean, this is Brad Pitt. Yeah, this is when Brad Pitt just fucking launched off a, you know, off a roof and just went into superstardom. Edward Norton has his most like you know his fame most famous role at this point as well. 
Gets acclaimed for so many awards, becomes a cult classic, financial box office success. I mean, you know, all the stripes that are associated with the great movie. Um, and always a fun rewatchable. Like, I remember watching it the first time and not expecting what the hell happened at the end. And to this day, I thought it was one of the best, like, endings uh, that you could put in a movie as, like, a suspense way. Um, so, yeah, Fight Club for me, bro. I'll round it off with that. You want to know a secret? Oh, gosh. I still haven't seen Fight Club. <gasps> Yeah, I don't know. I know. It's like David Fincher is one of the best directors of our time. He's helmed some of the greatest movies ever made, and Fight Club stands among them. Oh, my God. Like, by all accounts. And I still haven't seen it. Wow. Yeah. I've seen, like, the first 15 minutes of it where he goes to therapy, and, like, he very, very first meets Brad Pitt. And I've seen the end. I know I know what happens, unfortunately. But, Yeah. I, are you telling me I need to finish this tonight? Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, Fight Club is a is a must watch for it's it's amazing. Yeah, what aspect of it? Like, convince me here. Sell me on it on the pod. I think the main reason for for Fight Club that I think you should watch it. I think first off, it's just considered a cult classic. It's considered one of the best movies of its time. I think the performances are what you're going to see. That Brad Pitt actually shows that he could fucking act. Edward Norton probably has the best. Honestly, and he, he has the best performance of his career to this point for what he is. Um, and just the fight sequences as well. There's no CGI. Everything's done at hand, and it's more about the writing than anything else. I think this defined the this defined a generation for what it really was as a movie that stayed with people and could have some sort of continuation, hopefully in the 2020s as well. Wow, well said. Well, thank you. All right, I'll I'll think about it tonight. It's between that and uh, European Gigolo. Oh so gosh, we'll see if Depends I'm feeling. Depends on what mood you're in. Yeah, we'll see how highbrow I'm feeling. <laughs> All right, back over to my fifth pick. I'm gonna give us some, I'm gonna give us something that like we are missing in our lives right now, and that's a little Arnie. Oh, oh my God! End of Days, 1999. End of Days, a movie where Satan visits New York in search of a bride, and a cop who is drunk and burned out is there to stop him. Basically, like Arnold Schwarzenegger post his California. Governor Run is there to stop him. And in this movie, we get all the tropes. We get all the classic bad cliche writing. But it's Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger fighting the devil. And for a movie at the turn of the century, with this grand scale behind it, as bad as it was, I enjoy rewatching it. And I think anyone who's a fan of Arnold has value in this movie that they can take from it. This is peak Arnold. 99 is peak Arnold, bro. You're coming off the, the Terminator and Predator. Like, you're the biggest fucking box. You're, you're the Dwayne Rock. You are the Dwayne the Rock Johnson of that You era. You sell this movie by yourself, and you're the only thing that sells it. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, any, you know, it's to the point of putting, like, any rock movie here if you're a kid growing up to today's era. Same thing. And I, Arnie was the biggest star of his generation, bro. And anything 99, give it to me. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, even before 99, he was in Batman and Robin, Jingle All the Way. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right afterwards, he's in The Sixth Day, Collateral Damage. A lot of good stuff, man. Arnie, I'm a big fan of Arnie. Absolutely. Despite, you know, the mistress and maid situation. I I look over those things. Oh, Team Arnie over Stallone. For sure. Easy. Not even close. I mean, I don't know. Rocky or the Terminator? The thing about Rocky, though, is Stallone wrote directed and acted rocky I agree. he didn't have james cameron carrying the load i mean when you're the t800 that's a <laughs> that's a fat load 
that he's gonna fucking spray an Uzi he, all over. He, he was literally selected for the role as a dude who just walks and doesn't talk. Who That's says it. like three words like a robot. What a great acting chop to have. That's the it's the gift of Arnie. Yeah. Look what he turned into, man. Commando. <laughs> the yeah. Fucking predator. predator. Jingle all the way. Jesus Christ. Done. You've done it all. Yeah. Who wouldn't think they could get away with cheating on the maid when you've accomplished all that? Ah, oh, bro. I don't know. So, sorry, Arnold. It's because, you know, he made to, uh, he has true lies, which makes up complete set, make, make sense of it now. This is true. All right. I think this is it. This is your last pick, bro. Damn. Last pick of Nabil the Real Deal. This is What's your deal? Tough. All right. I think we got to end it with nostalgia, bro. I think, you know, based on how much of an impact... I think it left on us, any nerds in general, and any people that watch film. Give me the last 20 minutes of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh, wow. Like, I, as a kid growing up, bro, like, I watch, wow. I always heard of Star Wars, never really watched. My first ever, you know, understanding of what Star Wars really was or what it really can be was with this movie. And up to that point, I was like, all right, you know, this is cool and all, n- nothing big. Uh, but then you have that final scene with Darth Maul against Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. And it's like, this, to this point, it was the best choreographed 20 to 30 minutes of fucking fight sequences I have ever seen in my life to that point. And even to today in 2022, it's in my top five or easy my top five like action sequences of all time. Uh, and it was just done so well. And... I think it was the same dude that played. It was in GI Joe's play. Who's Snake Eyes? Um, Ken Ray, I think, uh, played Darth Maul as well, and he did all of his stunts. And yeah, just, that's yeah. I think I got to end it with that, bro. This the movie that really got me into Star Wars. What, was it the? Uh, was it called the Fate of the Duels? Something Fate like of Duels, that. Yes, sir. Yeah, just beautiful. It's probably probably top three Star Wars moments in all the saga. So you have that to elevate you above the tragedy that was jar jar binks you're doing something right that's it that's a solid last election man and we didn't have to suffer through like any anakin padme drama it was just qui-gon and good boy o- obi-wan right that's it. ponytail obi-wan that's it last one for me man i think <sighs> it hurts like any movie snob watching this is going to be like you left off fucking magnolia are you serious that's a masterpiece or analyze this with uh with billy crystal and robert de niro are you serious double jeopardy right Mm -hmm. you got tommy lee jones doing his thing but for me i'm taking a movie that wouldn't work anymore today a movie that i think spearheaded an entire genre of horror that came after it and that's the blair witch project did you ever see this movie I never watched the Blair Witch Project. It was kind. Of, it had like a little cult following back in the day, but I basically, it, yeah. it's one of those lost footage movies where three college students head into the forests of Maryland to do a documentary about the Blair Witch legend, and they leave only their footage behind. Is the premise? Oh, no special effects. It's literally just like a handheld camera the entire movie, and it's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. Like the last yeah. five minutes of it is true horror like if you're able to watch it at your house with your lights off this is a great late night nishida movie turn all the lights off you're not distracted by like your phone or anything else and get absorbed into the movie it's a great movie still that ages well today and like none of these 
paranormal activity or like wreck um or any of these camera movies would have been able to take on the scope and the budgets they did had Blair Witch Project not come onto the scene the way it did. So horror fans, if there's a movie from this year, I highly, highly recommend, other than Sixth Sense, if you consider that a horror movie, right? Check out the Blair Witch Project. I, I'm all in for a pre-paranormal activity, like paranormal activity, bro. That sounds fucking A1. It's beautiful. That's all you need. So many movies we left off. House on Haunted Hill. Sleepy Hollow, eyes wide shut. Right, that Kubrick's last movie wasn't on our list. Yeah, people, uh, people are gonna shit on us, right? Talented Mr. Ripley. Wow, okay. that was ninety nine as that well. Ninety nine, bro. It's Matt Damon at his peak. That was yeah. There's a lot. Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea. Set. Samuel L. Jackson on, is somewhere motherfucker. Is right there. Well, that's all you need. Just killing off the one of the biggest men in Hollywood in the first thirty minutes of the movie. I don't think Peter would allow Deep Blue Sea to occur in twenty twenty two either. No, I don't think so. Was, yeah. No, there were some great, great shark deaths. Like yeah. some of the best shark deaths in movie history were in that movie. If we're talking nostalgia, Varsity Blues. I mean, that that yeah, that's surprisingly. Yeah, I mean that's all time sports movies. That's got to be up there as well. Absolutely. I just just Al Pacino does something to me as a Godfather fan. I know you, I know you still haven't like given the Godfather mm-hmm. its flowers, and I think Not you'll yet. get to a point in your life where you'll watch it with the right circumstances and appreciate what it really is. Absolutely. Looking on this Whoa. list to see if there's anything else. Spectre Gadget, bro. Come on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the Bicentennial Man. Ooh, best, bro, yes. Rob, R.I.P. Rob Williams, one of the goats. R.I.P., baby. And to that, we say R.I.P. to the 1999 movie draft. What a movie draft it was. Who knows? Maybe we'll do another one. We'll get an extra guest on and expand the list out a little bit more. Take some more uh, fringe movies. But for this one, I think we did a beautiful job. We satisfied ourselves and nobody else. Because these movies were all over the place. But we did it in a way where we feel comfortable telling the people as we always do. Bye. Bye.